Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Climbing with Coach Kaya podcast. Today, I am introducing you to one of my favorite people in the entire world, and I think you are in for a treat. My friend Taryn is a born and raised Nebraska girl, and she's also the creator of Faith, Family, and Beef, where she talks about mommin, ranching, and the Enneagram, teaching her way through life, living on strong coffee and a whole lot of Jesus. Cheers to that as I'm here sipping on my coffee right now. She's also married to her favorite human, and she says she likes her shades big and her hills sandy a.k.a. she likes to wear big sunglasses, and she lives in the sand hills of Nebraska. I am so excited to introduce you to Taryn today as we dive in deep to chat all about the Enneagram. Hello there, beautiful friend. I'm your host, Kaya, a cattle rancher turned accidental life coach after embarking on my own health journey, losing over 100 pounds, but most importantly, rebuilding my relationship with myself. Now I am more on fire than ever to empower others to create a healthy life that they love from the inside out by sharing the tools, tips, and strategies that I've learned and continue to learn along the way. Mindset, health, body image, self-love, entrepreneurship, and more. We're here to chat about climbing the mountains of life all while finding joy in the journey. Welcome to the Climbing with Coach Kaya podcast. Now let's get climbing. Welcome to the show, Taryn. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. I just love it every time we get to chat. Oh my gosh, me too. It makes my heart so happy. I feel like I need to give people um, an insight into how um, – I'm just going to go ahead and say that I manifested this friendship because a few years ago – it's actually more than a few years ago now, but back when I was still working for the Kentucky Beef Council, I it's been five years. Yeah. Five years? Five. Oh my gosh. That honestly makes me so proud that we've been friends for that long. That feels like a long <laughs> time. 2017, right? That's five years. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That kind of blows my mind a little bit. <laughs> I'm not good at math. We're going to roll with five. That sounds good. So five years ago, I was still working for the Kentucky Beef Council. And I think that I was at my very first National Cattlemen's Beef Association convention. And they had this little Masters of Beef Advocacy alumni reception. And as I'm there grabbing myself a cocktail at the bar, I look over and I'm like, oh my gosh, that is that's Taryn from Faith Family Beef. And I was sitting there debating with my coworker. I'm like, do I go and fangirl right now? Or do I just pretend like it's totally casual and I have no idea who she is? And I was like, nope, I'm going to fangirl. So I waltz over to your table and you're sitting there with your husband. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't even think I asked if your name was Taryn. I think I asked, are you Faith Family Beef? Like I referred to you as your blog name. And you're like, yes. And your husband looks over to me and he's like, you're telling me you actually recognize my wife because of that blog she writes on the internet. And I was like, absolutely, I do. And um, I sat down and I forced you to be my friend. (laughs) It wasn't really forceful. You weren't forceful. Excited, maybe, but not forceful. Good. Yeah, I did it on a cost her. (laughs) I, I really do have you to thank because up until that point, my husband thought that I was just playing around on the internet instead of like doing actual work. And I'm like, no, this matters. So thank you. Well, you, you're so welcome. Oh my gosh. I love it. Um, and I do love that you, we had to give Tom a shout out in your, your, um, your intro. He is, he is one of the greatest people. He is so much fun. And I'm so glad that I've known him just as long, I guess. (laughs) I mean, yeah. Oh my gosh. I love it. Okay. So Taryn, when I first met you, you were, I mean, and you still are blogging as a blogger on Faith Family Beef. But now, recently, within the last year, you have also introduced this new thing. You are on this new entrepreneurial journey where you are diving deep into the Enneagram. Now, there might be people listening to this that have no idea what we're even saying when we say the word Enneagram. So I feel like maybe we should start there. But I also want to know how you got into this Enneagram world from ranching and blogging. So what is the Enneagram and how did you get here? Okay, so in the fall of 2018, my bestie and I were at Christy Wright's Business Boutique Conference, also in Nashville, where you and I met, Mm -hmm. and everyone there was talking about this Enneagram, and I had no idea what it was, but so many people were talking about it. Even Christy was talking about it on stage that I quickly Googled and saw that it was a personality typing system, and I was like, okay, that's cool. And I kind of set it aside for a while, but then in, I guess it would have been summer of 2019, I was listening to um, That Sounds Fun by Annie F. Downs, her podcast. And every summer she has an Ennea Summer 
a series where she interviews people of all the nine types and experts and all of that. And so that is where I really got intrigued. And then from there, I took an online test. I thought I was a type seven because I have a lot of type seven characteristics. But then when I really dove into it and read the book, The Road Back to You, which I suggest so much that my phone autofills The Road Back to You if I capitalize the, it just automatically, I just have to type <laughs> or tap you or back. Blah. I don't even know. The Road Back to You. Yes, I cannot say that slowly in order, but that's how I do it. I just tap the words as they pop up. I realized through reading that book that I was actually a type nine because when you when I dug into the motivations and specifically the deadly sins are different. So the seven's deadly sin is gluttony. I did not relate at all to that. The nine's deadly sin is sloth. And I'm like, um, hello, me, that is me. But like I said, the Enneagram is a personality typing system. It is not like the others. It is not like Myers-Briggs, StrengthsFinder, the one with the colors that I think is called Insights, but I can never remember. Those all, you do a test, answer a series of questions, you get characteristics and your strengths back. Or your, does, I've never done StrengthsFinder. Does it also give you your weaknesses? I haven't done it in so long, I can't even remember. It definitely gives you your strengths though. <laughs> I hope so. so. If it's called Strengths Finder, it better give you that much. <laughs> so where all those others give you your characteristics, strengths, weaknesses, probably, the Enneagram gives you some of that, but really it's rooted in your motivations and why you are the way you are and not so much what you do. So, so it's less behavior focused. Yes it tells you the motivations behind your behaviors, mm. which I personally find way more helpful. Like I already know what I do, but why do I do it? How can I use knowing, like use that why to help me change some of these behaviors that I don't necessarily like in myself? For me, that's passive aggression. <laughs> <laughs> I think that that's just so fascinating how it works. And so, okay, so you first hear about this in Nashville. You are intrigued, piques your interest. You you hear this podcast series about it. You start doing some of the work. You discover more about yourself. How has the Enneagram, I guess, impacted your life personally, having now known what your number is in this system? So I am a type nine and type nines our, their motivation is keeping the peace. We're called the peacemaker. We do not like conflict. We don't want to feel it within us. We don't want to cause it outside of us. We don't like seeing it outside of us, even if it has nothing to do with us. It gives us a really big gut ache. And as a result, the deadly sin of sloth is not necessarily literal slothfulness or laziness. It's spiritual laziness. So we fall asleep to our desires to go along, to get along, because in our minds, that is how we keep the peace. When in reality, that just can cause a lot of unhappiness or not knowing what your desires are or what your purpose is. Mm -hmm. And so knowing my number, I've been able to recognize also another thing you fall asleep to and that slothfulness is anger. and. Knowing that about myself, I can let the anger out when it comes to me instead of falling asleep to it, pretending it doesn't exist, and then having it explode in this ridiculous display of insanity later. Yeah. <laughs> so that's been very helpful. And then also like pinpointing exactly what my what my desires are and really honing in on my purpose has been very helpful. Amazing. Okay, so I feel like we need to 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 come back now. So we know that Taryn is a nine. When we talk about these numbers and this typing system, what does that look like? What do these numbers mean? How do we? How can? And I know that there's. We could. You, I know you could literally talk to me about this for weeks on end because you are so passionate about it. And I know it's this complicated thing. But how can we simplify what the enneagram is for someone that might be hearing about it for the first time? I can go through a quick rundown of each number if you would. Like. I would love that. Love that. Okay. So we're going to start at eight and there's a reason for that. Um, I always start at eight because eights, they just want directness. And if you don't start with eight, they will 
check out. So we're starting with eight. <laughs> and also we're ending on seven. And the reason is because sevens, if they hear about themselves first, that they'll just focus on that and then they won't listen to the rest. So there's <laughs> a method to this madness. So the eight is the challenger. And their motivation, their core motivation is self-reliance. Our motivations are made up of our fears, desires, sins, and uh, our longing, our longing. So what we desire to hear. The eight's core motivation, it, like I said, is self-reliance. So they fear being vulnerable. They don't like to show their vulnerability. They want to appear strong all the time. Their deadly sin is lust. It's not lust in the literal sense, like lusting after the flesh. It's lusting after control of situations. Their core longing is to hear, you will not be betrayed. The reason that they don't like to appear vulnerable and and want to appear strong all the time is because they do not want to be betrayed. That's like the worst thing for them. Eights are prone to putting up walls and not letting people in. I But I like to describe eights as like an M&M. So they have this uh, candy, hard candy shell, but on the inside, they're soft, sweet chocolate. And so while eights really want to be communicated with directly, honestly, don't beat around the bush, don't micromanage them. They also want to be treated with kindness and know that they won't be betrayed by you. Mm. Um, another fascinating point about eights is that I've heard a lot of them say that the golden rule does not apply to them because they treat people how they want to be treated. And people are sometimes offended by that because they're very direct and blunt and it can come off as rude, even though they're not actually being rude. Mm-hmm. Some people just struggle with that level of directness. Yeah. Um, type nines are the peacemaker. Like I said, type nines do not like conflict. We fear conflict and loss of connection. Type nines desire peace within and knowing that their presence matters. Their deadly sin is sloth. And like I said, that's not literal laziness. That is spiritual laziness. Our core longing is to hear your presence matters type nines, I forgot to mention this about eights, but type eights have the most energy on the Enneagram. They can just make stuff happen. Like you can't believe if they get their mindset on something, it's going to happen. Type nines have the least amount of energy on the Enneagram because keeping the peace within and keeping the peace outwardly is very exhausting. So we're, we have the least amount of energy. (laughs) Um, in communicating with type nines, it's really helpful if you tell them that that you really want their opinion because they have opinions, but they often won't voice them because of the keeping the peace factor there. They don't want to rock the boat ever. Type ones, their core motivation is perfection. They, I call them the reformer. Some people call them the perfectionist, but I like reformer because that's really what they do. Type 1's fear is being seen as wrong or bad. Their desire is to be seen as good and right and having integrity. And their deadly sin is anger. And this comes in the form of resentment because they don't feel like they can just be angry because that's wrong. I'm using air quotes. That's wrong. So they harbor it as resentment and that's how it comes out for them. And their longing is to hear you are good, not you are good at something, but you are a good human. Because when I say their motivation is perfection, I'm not saying they strive for perfection. They actually want to be perfect. And uh, something really interesting about ones is they have an inner critic that the rest of us don't have. So this is, the inner critic is different than self-talk. Self-talk is us saying things to ourselves. Like when we make a mistake, oh my gosh, that was so dumb. Why did you do that? You idiot. Mm -hmm. That's self-talk. The inner critic is a voice that's not them. It's not themselves talking. It's in their mind, constantly pointing out flaws, mistakes, ways they could improve, be better. It's it's an inner critic and it is with them 24-7, 365. 
my husband is actually a one and he's told me before in real time what the inner critic is saying. And I'm like, oh my gosh, shut up. Not you, your inner <laughs> critic. But ones also have the ability to walk into a room and see inefficiencies. And then not only just see the inefficiencies, but have a plan to fix them. Like mm. it's very cool. Twos are the helper. Their core motivation is love and appreciation. Their fear is being unwanted or unloved or undesirable. Their desire is to be loved and appreciated and wanted. And now you might be thinking, Taryn, that's cool. Everybody wants love and appreciation. That is mm -hmm. true. Everyone probably does want love and appreciation. However, not everyone is motivated and driven by love and appreciation. That is what the two is driven by. Their deadly sin is pride in that they their pride their pride comes from believing that they don't have needs that other people do. Everyone else around them has mm. needs they do not. They are the helper, not the healthy. Is that a word? I don't know. We're going to make Anyways. it a word. I think it sounds good. <laughs> I think it I, does I want to I want to come back. To, we're not going to dive into this right now. I want to come back to it afterwards. But I want to bring up the point you told me once that um, a lot of women mistype themselves as type two, um, including myself. So we can talk about my um, Enneagram crisis that I had recently once we're done looking at all the numbers. But I just wanted to bring that up for number two because like you said, like everyone wants to be loved and appreciated. And so why is it that people mistype themselves at two, as two who are women a lot of times. I, I believe that women often mistype as two because culturally that is what we've made women to be is the mm -hmm. helper, the nurturer, the one that takes care of everyone and brings all the treats and does things for everybody. And so it can be hard when you're first diving into this if you have been very much in that caretaker role or mother role to separate out what you're doing versus what drive what actually drives mm, you. Yeah. Because the truth is is we can all take on characteristics of all the types. Yeah. But our motivations come from we only have one set of motivations. We're so not that's motivated. the clear distinction. Yes. Okay, awesome. Yes. Two's core longing, we talked about pride, their pride, their sin, and their core longing is to hear you are wanted and loved. Two's have, like ones have the ability to walk in the room and see the inefficiencies. Two's have the ability to walk into the room and see who needs something. And then they just step up and help without being asked twos are very can be very much people pleasers and they can struggle with setting boundaries mm -hmm. they also don't realize that not everyone else has that innate ability to know other people's needs like we don't mm -hmm. so if you are a two do not be upset if someone doesn't help you without you asking you you I'm giving you permission to ask because we don't know. <laughs> help yeah. us out. Help us help you. Isn't that a line <laughs> from like Jerry Maguire or something? I think no. so. Something. It sounds It sounds good. Help me help you. Yeah, I think it's Jerry Maguire. Anyway, help <laughs> us help you. We, we're willing to help you. We just need to know what we need to do because we don't have that amazing ability that you guys mm -hmm. have. The type three is the achiever. So their fear is being seen as unsuccessful or worthless or failing. Their desire is to be to have respect and admiration and be successful. And their deadly sin is deceit. And this doesn't come in the form of deceiving other people. It's more in the form of deceiving themselves. Because threes also have an innate ability to walk into a room. <laughs> but when they walk into the room, they can read the people in the room and sort of transform into who that room needs them to be or who they need to be to fit into that room. Mm -hmm. So the threes core longing is to hear you are loved and valued for being you. Threes can have a hard time tying their value 
to their successes. I forgot to say their core motivation is affirmation and admiration. So they want to be admired and they want to have those words of affirmation back. Type fours, oh, threes. We're we're not going to go to type four yet. Threes also have an amazing amount of energy. (laughs) Like they also... They're very goal-oriented, forward-thinking, get things done. Our girl Kaya here discovered she's a three. I just discovered that I'm a three after my Enneagram crisis that I had with Taryn. So yeah, I just also, I just want, as you guys are listening to these types, I think that if there is one, especially when she talks about the the sin, if it like, if you feel triggered or like defensive about it, it might be a sign that that's you because that's how I discovered that I was not a two. Because when three was going, I was like, shoot, that's true. Shoot, that's so true. So yes, I'm a three. I'm a three. <laughs> yes. And the reason that this, like like Haya pointed out, if you're like, oh, shoot, that feels bad, but also true. Like yeah. that's a good sign that you're getting narrowed in because you can teach the Enneagram from a butterflies and sunshine point of view. But if you do that, you'll never know your real type. Yeah. So that's why we don't teach it from, we, we point out all the things, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah. And that's what I appreciate about how you're, you're talking through each of these is that you talk about the sin, but also it's like what makes these Enneagrams so good is also their weakness. Like your strength is also your weakness. And so there's good in every single one of them. And there's, I, I don't want to say bad, but there's for lack of a better word, bad in every single one of them too. Oh, for sure. We all have things that we need to work on. I mean, Mm -hmm. we're humans, we're flawed. So I think that is, that's also one thing that I really love about this is it, it points out where you need to be aware and do some work. That's like the beginning of every journey, right? Is awareness. And you can't Mm -hmm. improve on these things if you can't even pinpoint where you're struggling or what that weakness is. And I, I think that's what makes this tool so stinking so stinking powerful. Mm -hmm. Looking to save more money and invest for your future? It's never been easier than with Acorns. Download the app, sync to your debit or credit cards, and automatically round up every purchase you make to mindlessly save and invest your money without any added work. Set up recurring investments to increase your savings and investment fund and watch your money build with time without even thinking about it. Listen, I know nothing about saving and investing, but I've been using Acorns for a couple of years now, and I now have enough money to take a vacation to Europe with my husband, and the best part, I didn't even notice it happening. Join me, and you'll get a free $5 investment to start saving and investing for your future too. Click the link in the show notes and get started with Acorns today. The type four is called the individualist. Their fear is being inadequate, emotionally disconnected, abandoned, or plain. Their desire is authenticity, to be unique, to be special. Their weakness is envy and not as in envying what people, other people have like tangibly, but that envy comes out in uh, wanting a this sense of normalcy that they perceive in other people that they feel like they don't have. And their core longing is to hear you are seen and loved just as you are, unique and special. Type fours are the most emotional of any type on the Enneagram. And this can be such a good thing for people like me who struggle and fall asleep to their emotions and feelings because fours are okay to sit with other people in their feelings. They don't mind feeling their own feelings. The emotional roller coaster that we like, it's not really a roller coaster. It's like a smooth ride, like up and down. You know, we all have ups and downs. We all have a couple of good days and then something crappy will happen and we'll feel sadness. Fours experience that like multiple times a day. They, Mm -hmm. they, They take in the world with feelings. They're also really fascinating to me because they want to be unique and set apart from other people, but also they envy that that normal. They don't want to be normal, but they envy the normal. And that's so fascinating to me. Yeah. 
Um, fours are also very, very creative. My best friend is a four and she, I also know a lot of fours who resist being fours. And I think it's that normal missing the normalcy part, Mm -hmm. which in reality, none of us are normal, right? (laughs) Right. So, um, but, but fours resist sometimes that they're actually fours. And my best friend resisted that fact that she was a four for a while because she's a CPA. So a certified public accountant. And she's like, that's not a creative job. And I'm like, (laughs) okay, you're right. It's a very analytical job, but the way you do it and the way you make numbers make sense is so creative. Like nobody can make numbers make sense for me like you do. And so you are creative, even if your job is analytical. Yeah. That's interesting. So interesting. So type fives are the investigator and their fear is being incapable, incompetent, unknowledgeable, and having their energy depleted. As I said, with the eights, they have the most energy, nines have the least energy, fives wake up with a set amount of energy, and they watch that tank go down, 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 down all day. And when it gets close to empty, they know they have to go away, withdrawal, and fuel that tank. Their desires are being knowledgeable and competent. Their sin is avarice, which is a fancy word for greed. And that comes in the form of hoarding time and energy and resources because Mm. they just don't feel like they have what it takes to do life and be around people sometimes. And so they're hoardy hoarders of time and resources. Their longing is to hear your needs are not a problem. Hmm. Fives also have, because they have so much knowledge, they have like filing cabinet. I picture it as a filing cabinet in their brain that they can just flip through and find all the things. They also never say anything off the cuff. Oh, they have to like think about it? Yeah, they don't want to appear incompetent. So if they don't have the answer, they're not just going to give you some fluff. They're going to say, I don't know. Let me get back to you. Everything they say, it has been thought through. I was just thinking about, I recently started doing improv this year and I was imagining what it would feel like for an Enneagram five to be doing improv. Like I, would that be debilitating? Would it be a good exercise for them? I'm so curious. Well, I don't know that it would be debilitating. I think it actually would be okay because they have so much knowledge Mm-hmm. that they could figure it out. Mm-hmm. You know, they could yeah. pull, whip it out. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. When you're communicating with a five though, if they give you a blank stare, it's not because they're not listening. They're just taking it in and they may need a little time to process it and do their own research. And then they'll come back to you. They will come back to you. They are listening. Mm-hmm. They're not just, you're not talking to a wall. They're just taking it in. Type six is the loyalist. Their fear is feeling fear, which that sounds weird, but they are afraid of fear. They also fear not being supported or lacking security. Their desire is to be supported, have guidance, feel secure. Their weakness is fear. A lot of fear with this one. Yeah. Their... Core motivation is security and support. Their longing is to hear you are safe and secure. So like type ones have the inner critic, type sixes have the inner committee, which I picture it like a room full of people spouting off different points of view. And what if this, what if that? Did you think about this? Did you think about that? So it's very loud in their minds. So it makes it a little bit hard to make decisions. And once they've made a decision, they generally stick to it. It's very hard for them to change their mind. And I think, I need to ask some more sixes about this, but I think that could be due to the fact that they don't want to have to consult that inner committee and have all that noise again. So once they've Mm. made a decision, that's what it is. So when you are communicating with a six, you just want to make sure that they feel safe and supported in your presence. The type seven, I always think of sixes and sevens as pretty opposite because 
sixes have fear like they they don't like to feel fear they would never well i shouldn't say never a phobic six so there's counterphobic and phobic phobic six would probably never go skydiving counterphobic might go skydiving but they would definitely have a plan for if the parachute didn't open (laughs) but sevens are called the enthusiasts and the reason i think these two types are so different is because Sixes never just fly by the seat of their pants. They always have a plan for everything. And Mm -hmm. I think of some sevens, they just like fly by the seat of their pants. Everything, they're just striving after fun and exciting experiences. Their fear is missing out on something fun, being deprived, being bored, being held back. Their desire is being happy and fulfilled and satisfied. Their deadly sin is gluttony and not gluttony like after food, but gluttonous after fun, exciting experiences and adventure. Their core motivation is happiness and fulfillment, and their longing is to hear you will be taken care of. Sevens are the life of the party generally (laughs) when they're stressed out not so much but generally speaking yes they're the life of the party and they do tend to have a little bit shorter attention span because they are always looking for that fun exciting next new thing i imagine that sevens have a hard time with shiny object syndrome and when you're communicating with a seven if it's something really important make sure you're in a place with not a lot of distractions so that they can focus on the conversation. If you have to deliver some really hard news to a seven, try to bring it up to neutral if you can, because sevens also have this ability to reframe things in the moment. You know, most people can look back on a negative experience and pick out something good in it after the fact. Sevens Mm -hmm. have the ability to do that in real time. So if you can bring it up to neutral, the negative news you have to deliver, then it kind of helps the seven to not reframe so that they take in the actual information being delivered instead of putting a positive spin on it. I mean, you can put it. Why wouldn't you want to put a positive spin on it? But also they need to to know what's actually happening. Yeah. So interesting. Okay, so we just walked through the nine different types. And maybe if someone's listening, maybe there is a certain type where they're like, okay, this one sounds like it resonates with me. The other one kind of sounds like it resonates with me. What is the best way for someone to know what their type really truly is? Okay, so I like to say if you're going to do an online test, that's a good place to start, but do not stop there because I think think that it is very hard for those tests to one, determine our motivations, which is what determines your type. And two, as humans, subconsciously, I think that we choose answers that we want to be rather than what Mm -hmm. we actually are. And Mm -hmm. so that can give you unreliable results. So like I took the test and thought it came out that I was a seven. But once I started reading about each type and the motivations, I discovered that no, I am not a seven. I am a nine. I'm definitely motivated by peacemaking and not happiness and fulfillment. Do I want happiness and fulfillment? Sure, but that is not what drives me. So if you're going to do an online test, do some further reading into the motivations. Or I just recently launched one-on-one Enneagram coaching, and I'm also offering standalone typing sessions. So if you don't want to dive into the coaching right away, you can set up a typing session with me. I will ask you a series of questions. I will ask you to answer honestly and just talk through it. And we, at the end of it, will have a pretty good idea of what your type is, if not know it for sure. Sometimes it takes a little bit longer than just the hour typing session that you have with me. We want to make sure, because the thing is, is I cannot tell you your type. It's something that you have to come to. And depending on if you've been in stress for a long time or, you know, had some life events that were hard or, you know, whatever it may be, it might take a little bit more than just our hour together. But I am confident that we will have a pretty good idea, if not no, in that typing session. Very cool. 
That brings up another question for me. So I just finished reading, um, I know you referenced the book earlier, The The Road Back to You. That same author has another book called The Path Between Us and or The Road Between Us, The Path Between Us? It's The Path Between Us, yeah. The Path Between Us. And I just finished reading it and it talks about Enneagrams, <clears throat> excuse me, she talks about Enneagrams in relationships, helping you understand you know, for your Enneagram type, how you are in relationship, how you as a type interact with other types um, in relationships. And it was so fascinating, but it got me thinking so much. And I'm still thinking about this, like what type is my husband? Because he's not the kind of guy who, you know, would typically sign up with an Enneagram coach or take an Enneagram test or want to read an Enneagram book, you know? And my question for you, because I know that a lot of people will want to do this is, is it possible to type someone else is there a way for us to find out what type our our friends, our parents, our partner is so that we can be more mindful of that? If they are not at all interested in taking the test or reading the book or sitting down with me and talking about it, the best way to interact with them, because the answer is no, we can't technically type other people because they, we cannot know their motivations. We cannot, Mm -hmm. we can see their behaviors and their characteristics, but that is not the determining, like that's not their motivations. That's their behaviors. So you can sort of hold loosely and with curiosity what you think they might be. But honestly, the very best way to communicate with other people is really being aware of you and knowing yourself and how you behave and how you're motivated and then using that when you're communicating with other people because honestly like I'll use myself as an example I know that I struggle with passive aggression and I know that that's not clear when you're being passive aggressive you're not being clear I also know that clear is kind and I always want to be kind And so if I want to be kind, then I cannot be passive aggressive. I need to be direct. And you can do that with kindness and tact. And that is what I am working to do. Because honestly, that's that's the key to all communication. Whether any of us know our types or not is to be kind and clear and tactful. You can say hard things and still be kind. You can say really cool things and be a total... Can I say jackass on your podcast? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so the, it can go both ways, but knowing yourself and how you are motivated and how you communicate is going to help you communicate with others at the end of the day, even if you don't know anyone's type and being kind and clear and tactful. So good. I truly believe that if you change your habits, you can change your life. Our life is the result of the habits that we practice daily. Improving your life isn't about making some scary, drastic change overnight. It's about meeting yourself where you're at and making small changes over time that you can actually stick with. But you've got to start small to stay consistent, which is why I put together a free healthy habits checklist to help you do just that. Download my free PDF to set your intentions for what small healthy habits you are going to start practicing today. There's a place for you to check them off the list and celebrate every single baby step along the way. You can download yours for free at coachkayacommunity.com forward slash healthy dash habits, or you can click the link below. Again, that's coachkayacommunity.com forward slash healthy dash habits, or click the link in the show notes to download yours today for free. Start changing your life, friend, one healthy habit at a time. So, okay, there might be some people, and I know that I've talked to some people in the past before, who sometimes resist, and you know, maybe this question isn't even accurate because they probably might might not be listening to this episode, but there, there are some people who resist things like the Enneagram or these personality quizzes because they don't like that it's putting them in a box or telling them what kind of a person they are. What is your response for people who might kind of resist this tool? How do you think, do you feel like the Enneagram puts you in a box or do you feel like it freeze you from a box? I personally feel like it lets you out of the box that you're already in. Yeah. (laughs) But I will also say that there are plenty of people who do life just fine 
without knowing their Enneagram type. And so if you feel convicted to not use the Enneagram, I'm not going to force it on you, but I do know how it's helped me and how I feel like set free from my box. I wanted to ask you, speaking of that, you know, what are, where do you see the practical applications that the Enneagram has in our lives? Well, using myself as an example again, knowing my type and knowing my husband's type, he is a type one. I I know now that when he is being critical of me, it's only because his inner critic is being that much more critical of him. And I also know that when I deliver criticism to him or offer advice, I need to be gentle and kind in how I do that because he already knows because the inner critic has already pointed it out. Mm. So that's one practical application for me. But another practical application or way that I use it in not knowing other people's types is just, like I said, in that communication, like, When I send a text, I don't think about it near as much as I used to. I used to worry and stew and fret over what words I used and how it was going to come off. And now I say what needs to be said and I hit send and I don't give it another thought. Mm -hmm. So that's how it's helped me personally. I guess that's the best way to speak about this because I'm not someone else, but yeah. Yeah, I love that. I want you to mention briefly, and we don't have to go into this in in big detail because, again, this we'd have to do multiple podcasts on this. In fact, we might need to have our own, which you do have your own podcast. So we'll make sure to, to let people know where they can tune into that at the end here. But I just want you to touch briefly about how the Enneagram functions in terms of how you have one Enneagram type, but each type moves to other numbers in strength and security. Tell me how that works. Yes. So... Your core type is determined by your core motivations. You only have one set of core motivations. I personally believe that we're born with them and that is how we see the world is through those motivations. However, each type has wings and the wings are the the types or the numbers on either side of your core type. So the Enneagram is a diagram. It's in a circle. And if you would lay your head on your core type and stretch your arms out, your wings would be the types that your hands touch. So So for example, if I'm a three, my wings are two and four. Yes. And mine are one and eight. It's just like wings. Like I'm doing actions right now. Wings. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. So the wings just add nuance to your core type. So you can lean on one wing or the other really strongly. You can have them kind of draw from them both equally. You can be mostly just in your core type. On our podcast, we call it the albatross wing if you have a really strong wing and the sparrow wing if you have like a really not as strong wing. But yeah, your wings just add nuance. And then where when you get stressed out, you can draw from the traits of different numbers. And that's not as easy to explain verbally without the diagram. A nine goes to six in stress and three in security. Kaya as a three goes to nine in stress and six in security. That's the equilateral triangle on the diagram, but not every type is equilateral like that. So this is something where it might be most helpful to check out the the diagram, but also maybe read more about that in a book. Yes. And I can't remember how much they talk about stress and security in The Road Back to You, but Suzanne Stabile, the the co-author of The Road Back to You and the author of The Path Between Us, has a new book called The Journey Toward Wholeness, and she talks a lot about stress and security. She also talks about stances. And so that's another added nuance. There's the withdrawing stance that includes fours, fives, and nines. And people in the withdrawing stance, those types, they move away from people. So we're not, I'm in that stance and we're not affected by outside influence. Like I've never seen an episode of Game of Thrones or Yellowstone or Tiger King. I have never played Wordle. Like I'm, and I, it's not just that I haven't, I like, I don't have the desire to do those things. I'm not, I don't have any FOMO there. Um, And then there's the aggressive stance that is made up of eights, sevens, and threes. 
and they move against people and have this unconscious ability to change or reshape situations in people to how they want them to be. And they are, so so the withdrawing stance is doing repressed. So we have a hard time doing. The aggressive stance, those sevens, eights, and threes are feeling repressed. So they have a little bit harder time accessing feelings. Um, And then there's the dependence stance, which is made up of ones, twos, and sixes. And they move toward people. So they're kind of looking outside themselves for a sense of self and they are thinking repressed. So it's not to say that they don't think, it's just the thinking that they do is pretty unproductive thinking. So fascinating. Then we have triads. So there's the instinctive or gut triad, which is made up of eights, nines, and ones. They usually lead with doing first or action first and thinking and feeling later. And anger is kind of the emotion that sits right under the surface for them and it comes out in different ways. Eights just let the anger come out. Nines pretend it doesn't exist. And ones just let it fester in resentment. Then we have the heart or feeling triad, which is made up of twos, threes, and fours. And they lead with feelings and shame is that emotion that is sitting right under the surface for them. And it, it often comes out in different ways for those types as well. Um, and then we have the thinking or head triad, which is five, sixes, and sevens. And for them, they lead with thinking first and feeling and doing later and they have fear that's sitting right under the surface for them and again that fear is expressed in different ways between those three types it's so fascinating to me because there are so many layers to this and i have read a couple books now on the enneagram and i learn something new every single time and especially because i went through what i have been calling my enneagram crisis it's had me like okay i need to reread all of these things now so Uh, A little while ago, a month or so ago from when we're recording this, Tara and I were both speakers at a conference in Kansas called Cultivating Courage, and we were roommates together. Thank goodness, because I'm like, Taryn, I think we need to talk because I feel like I might have typed myself wrong. And the funny thing about this, Taryn has a podcast called Type It Out, and she had me on her podcast as the type two person. And Jared told me that after after our interview, she's like, I had an inkling that maybe you had mistyped yourself. And so I was, I thought for sure that I was a two. And I think part of it is based on what I do for a living as a, as a coach. Um, I just felt like, I don't know, my behavior was very two-esque and I definitely have a lot of those pieces within me. But after diving into it more, like Taryn helped me uncover and unveil that I am actually a three, but with a two wing. Are mistypes really common like that? I think that they're probably a little bit more common than we know, partly because of the tests, like the online tests. Sure. If you take those tests and you you just take them at face value and that's what you are, then there's a lot of mistyping that happens there. Mm-hmm. But in your case, your two wing, I think is pretty strong. Yeah, for sure. And so- Unless you're really honing in on your motivations, like outwardly, people might assume that you're a two because of your characteristics. But when you get into the motivations, your motivations, based on our discussion, are definitely three motivations. And the thing that tipped me off when Cass and I were talking to you was when you told me that, or when you told us that you were future, like you were very futuristic and forward thinking Mm-hmm. And that's what really, and that was the first thing. And then when you were talking about what happens when you're stressed out, I was like, I think maybe Kaya might be a three with a strong two wing instead of a two with a strong three wing. But I can't tell my friends what they are because remember, I don't know the motivations. I do now, but I didn't know because we that's not what we were really talking about there. Mm-hmm. But uh Kaya said when she got stressed out, she kind of just like checked out. And I was like, ooh, that's more what a three does when they're 
when they're stressed. And then when she said that she was forward thinking, I was like, and has all these goals and things. I was like, that sounds more like three because we also have orientation to time, which is tied to your stance that we just talked about. And twos are, are oriented to the present Mm-hmm. And threes are oriented to the future. So that's what tipped me off. And Kaya, a month ago, said, why didn't you tell me if you knew? And I was like, because <laughs> I can't do that. <laughs> I'm I'm so glad we got to talk through it, though. And, and honestly, I think the thing that really made me realize it was when I was reading through some of these three things, I was like, oh my gosh, wait, I'd like to be more aligned with what motivates the two. Um, like I think that I have like I have a goal of being more present. Like that's one of my goals for this year is being more present and leaning on that wing of mine. But I think the reason that I knew is because when I thought about the weaknesses of the three, it made me feel like yucky and called out inside. And I was like, crap, I think that means that that's me because I am, um, you know, you talked about how threes have an ability to walk into a room and be whoever they need to be for other people. I'm like, yeah. And I think that's something that makes me good at what I do. I think it helps helps me as a speaker um, and as a coach is that I'm really good about becoming best friends with anybody of any walk of life, with any perspective. Like that is a strength of mine. But when you talked about deceit and how the sin of the three isn't deceit of others, but deceit of oneself. I I shared with you when we were rooming together that I felt like the end of 2021, I had like this personal crisis, like just emotional stuff I was going through. And what it was for me was I felt like I was being so performative and trying to do all of these things the right way to be successful and appear successful that I felt like I was losing myself a little bit because I was trying to be all the things for other people that I was like, wait a second, who am I? separate from these accomplishments. And when I learned about that with the C, I was like, oh my gosh, yeah, that is absolutely me. Absolutely me. Yeah. I think like you said, I think you said this earlier, but when you're like looking at these, take a good hard look at that deadly sin weakness, because I mean, that's what got you to figure out, wait a second, I'm not really a two. That's what got me to figure out, wait a second, I'm not really a seven. So take Mm -hmm. a good hard look at that sin, because if that's something you struggle with, that could be the key to unlocking your type. Yeah. And I think too, what I appreciate about the Enneagram is that for myself is that again, like what we mentioned earlier, it just helps with so much more awareness. And I talk a lot on this podcast and inside of my community, I use the words compassionate curiosity all the time. And I think that the Enneagram really helps me foster compassionate curiosity about my own behavior from this understanding perspective from motivation of okay, I notice these patterns of myself and instead of getting frustrated with them, I can use the tools that the Enneagram has given me to understand them a little bit better and recognize, okay, when I am feeling strong, healthy, mentally strong and healthy, this is what I can go to. And when I am stressed, these are my behaviors and where I go to in stress. And I just feel like, for me, it feels like it's helped free me from this box. And um, I just appreciate that so much about the Enneagram as a tool. And I and I will say too, you know, I haven't formally worked with Taryn as a one-on-one coach yet, but maybe I will. But I do feel like I have, but um, I just forced her to be my coach while we were roommates together. <laughs> I was willing. Yes. Again, I wasn't forceful. It sounds like I'm trying to, like, I forced you to be my friend. I forced you to coach me. <laughs> my not the arm right is word, so but... sore from Kaya twisting it. No. <laughs> It is a uh, it is so cool though to watch Taryn on stage or just to be able to sit in conversation with her about this stuff because what I see Taryn looking at you it just seems like so like you're in such total alignment now and and I know me talking about how I recognize that what makes me a 3 is also what makes me really good at my job you being a 9 I know you've talked to me about is also what makes you so great at what you're doing now as an Enneagram coach right Yeah. I mean, full disclosure, I became an Enneagram coach for pretty selfish reasons. You know, we talked about how I don't like conflict and the last couple of years in the online space have basically been nothing but conflict. Mm -hmm. And I felt like I could help people understand themselves better and other people better. And when we understand ourselves and understand other people, we can have good, productive conversations without so much hate. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. I think a lot of the conflict that is happening right now is because we don't understand. And this is a really good tool for understanding. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I just, like I said, it's selfish. I just felt like this was a really good way to help understand and reduce some of that conflict. Yeah. So speaking of that, I know that you just opened up your one-on-one Enneagram coaching, which is so, so amazing. You know, as an Enneagram coach, how do you hope to use this tool to support people? What is your, what is your hope? I really like doing the group coaching and the group training, but the one-on-one is where real magic happens. I just think it's, I, through the beta testing, I just was so honored and humbled and all the things to be able to help these people in my beta testing group recognize the why behind what they do and be able to, like we were talking about stress and security, um, be able to pick up on those red flags when they're sliding into stress. Because honestly, the stress where you go in stress is a survival mechanism. And if you unconsciously go there without trying to keep yourself in check, that's what you're doing to survive. But to help pick up those red flags or, or notice those red flags when you're sliding into stress and then channel the good side of your stress number, like helping people do that and giving them the tools has been, it's just been really cool and really amazing. And I If I could, I would just help everyone in the world with this. I'm just one person, so it's limited numbers. But what I think is so cool, Taryn, is that the ripple effects of what you're doing, you're never going to be able to fully see because you helping one person learn this tool and become a better communicator and more compassionately curious about themselves and other people – that is going to in turn affect every single person they come into contact with. And so, you know, I think I've mentioned on this podcast before, but like the way we change the world is by healing ourselves first and you are helping people in their healing journey. And that is so powerful and so purposeful. And I just love seeing that passion and purpose radiate from you in this role. I think it's the coolest, the coolest thing. Before I have you tell us all the ways that we can find you, connect with you online, and also learn more about one-on-one coaching, if that's something that people are interested in, I want to ask you a question I ask all of my guests. So this podcast is called Climbing with Coach Kaya because I truly believe that Each and every one of us are climbing a mountain or a series of mountain ranges in our lives. There's lots of ups and downs. And so I'm curious right now in this season of your life, what is a mountain that you are currently climbing? Well, I'm not at liberty to say what exactly the mountain is other than to say that it's a really big family goal that we have set. Mm -hmm. And we are just putting one foot in front of the other until we get to the top on this one. But I'm really excited with the steps we've already taken. Amazing. I love that you said one foot in front of the other because here in this space, we believe very strongly in the power of baby steps. Well, I will say Allie Kelly has been helping me with the baby steps because I was like looking at the top of the mountain thinking, how in the H am I going to get up there? And Allie has broken it down into baby steps. Amazing. So cool. And very exciting. There is so much power in coaching, right? Whether you're working with a business coach, whether you're working with an Enneagram coach, whether you're working with a life coach, a mindset coach, um, I think that there is so much strength in having someone to walk through these things with you. So that's amazing. So excited to see where this journey is going to take you, Taryn. So for those that want to connect with you, where can people find you, Taryn? I am on Instagram at Taryn, T-E-R-R-Y-N dot Dreeling, D as in David, R-I-E-L-I-N-G. And on Facebook, Faith Family and Beef. And my website is faithfamilyandbeef.com. My podcast is with my friend Cass. It's called Type It Out with T and Cass. You can find us on Instagram at Type It Out Podcast. And we have a website that may or may not be up right now. I'm working on it. Um, and it's typeitoutpodcast.com. Awesome. So cool. Taryn, thank you so much for being here on the show and chatting with me about all things Enneagram. I just appreciate you so much and I cherish our friendship and it is an honor to get to share you with my little world here. So thank you.
Oh my gosh, thank you for having me on. And all the things that you just said to me, right back to you. <laughs> I just Aww. love you, Taya. I love you too. Oh, a love fest. All right, friends. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode. We'll see you right back here, same time, same place next week. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Climbing with Coach Kaya podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please hit subscribe and leave me a review sharing what you loved most. Come hang out with me on Instagram and Facebook to keep the conversation going as we continue to find joy in the journey. Until next time, I am cheering for you, friend. Keep climbing and we'll chat soon.